Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And our topic today is that we're getting ready for summer and we're talking about beach reads. And this is a fun topic for us because, Anne, this was our very first episode <gasps> we ever did was beach reads. It was. And it was all like kind of exactly five years ago. Oh, really? Didn't we start in May? May. <gasps> <gasps> five-year anniversary that's so kook town with our two-year break in the middle yeah <laughs> that's so exciting i hadn't even put that together you're right we did our first episode in may and we did beach reads wow yay that's happy news we're so wise and we are so much seasoned now we are i mean couldn't even tell who we were back then if you compared it to now. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not like we don't still routinely every week say, "Oh my gosh, did you, did I forget to hit record?" And did, does my audio sound okay on no, your end? No, no, none of that. Ever that happens. never happens. We are pros. <laughs> Oh, well, that is happy, happy news. And it is is rainy here. I don't know about in Nashville, but we're getting some of this tropical storm rain all week. And so it is nice to think about sunny skies and going to the beach. In fact, I, when this episode airs or not airs, whatever, (laughs) drops, (laughs) uh, I will be at the beach. (laughs) I am breaking, not really breaking rules, but... We are traveling. We are getting in our, our little car. We are traveling down to Hilton Head for a few days for the Memorial Day weekend. And I'm oh, very fun. excited for a little bit of a break, a little bit of beach time, get to see my parents, which I'm happy about. So we thought that long and hard so about, about whether or not we should do this, given the situation with COVID and came to the determination that we all felt pretty confidently that it would be okay we have been keeping ourselves very isolated we felt like it was okay to go see each other so um, yeah so yeah I will be at the beach probably picking up a some sort of beach read while I'm sitting there I'm looking forward to it yeah that sounds awesome I on the other hand was supposed to be in Europe this I'm week sorry. <laughs> I know I just have to complain some one one other place besides the other places I've complained because I'm really really sad about it I'm but sorry. that's that's the breaks. Yeah, I think lots of people had lots of different plans that were changed due to this whole situation. And yeah, it's no fun. It's no fun. But I'm grateful for books. Yes, and yes. that books can make me forget things. Yeah, take and a little bit of an escape. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about what, how, we, how we each would think of a beach read. What do you think of when so, somebody says beach read? I think last time we talked about this, I tried to be creative in how I thought of beach reads like a little bit more thoughtfully Mm -hmm. I guess and this time I just went with my true impression which is fluff yeah fluff all the time well so (laughs) the last time I distinctly remember because at the time we were both living much closer to the beach Uh, Mm -hmm. and so the beach was kind of like a regular part of my life and so to me beach time or pool time, which I equate the two, uh, felt very much just like solid, uninterrupted time to read. So, but I had it 
I had a lot of it. Basically, most every weekend, I was able to take advantage of that sort of situation. So I remember saying, like, it's a great, for me, again, not for everybody, but for me, it was a great time to tackle, like, big long books or classics that I'd always meant to read because I had the attention to devote right. to it. I had time to devote to it. I could just sink into it. Where now that I am in a situation where going to the beach is a more rare occurrence, I agree with you. I Light, fluffy, keep my attention. Don't make me think too much. I want to be able to set the book down and go take a walk or go in the pool or do whatever. Like I, right. don't, need, I don't want something that's going to be uh, heavy or challenging right. in any way. So yeah, so I that's to me the quintessential beach read. And you you were even like I was close to the beach by you know probably half an hour mm-hmm. I would say, mm-hmm. but you lived right yeah. on the beach or your parents especially but, yeah, were right yeah, on the yeah. beach. I was like so. a 10 minute drive away and then my parents were yeah. right, right there. So I mean, a walkable a walkable little distance, yeah. yeah. So. And I, I think that makes a huge difference because the, I mean, not just the the proximity and, and being able to go often, but, but when I think of the beach, I always think of having to put a fair amount of effort into it. Even when I lived close to it, it still fe- always felt like you have to get all your stuff mm-hmm. and get get kind of situated and and it just felt like, I, I've never really been a beach person mm-hmm. for that reason because it always felt like a lot more work Mm -hmm. than I kind of wanted to put into it Mm -hmm. um and but in your situation that's totally negated Mm -hmm. it's just it's just the beach it's it's right there it's so great and it's yeah to me that is the best place to read like bar none absolutely best place to read I just love it I love because I like to be out I like to read outside uh, you know when my old house had a back porch I loved reading on the back porch um, I, there's something about sitting outside you know I leave my phone inside the house no distractions the only distractions are if I want to sort of look out at the horizon or whatever it yeah. is. It's, just, it's the best and I understand people with kids going to the beach is like a whole different scenario totally. that's that's not what I'm talking about I'm talking about a true sort of um, break from and you kind of have life. the white noise of the yes, of the yeah. water yeah. and yeah. So it's um, fabulous. Can I make a? I I know you know the story. I think I think we were already recording this when this happened, but I don't remember for sure now. I think so. Um, when I when my friend Cheryl came to visit yeah. me, and we went to the beach, and I was so mad at her because she brought the master yeah. margarita with yeah. her to the beach. Like, That's not a beach read. <laughs> I was so angry, and I remember you said, "No, it's a good time for uninterrupted yeah. reading." Yeah. And I I was like, "I get that, <laughs> but the and I love the master margarita. That yeah. was one of my favorite books I read last year. It's fabulous. It is not a beach read." <laughs> <laughs> Do you understand my? perspective though about totally totally but on something like that that is that because it's a really complex book Mm -hmm. and it takes lots and lots of footnotes Mm -hmm. to understand it because it's all like uh satire Mm -hmm. on soviet culture at the time and so so it isn't something that you're just kind of plowing through you're Mm -hmm. having to do a lot of flipping back and forth and i think that like i think i could read a classic on the beach but I don't think I could do Master Margarita. Okay, I get it. Yeah, I, I, I've not read it, but I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. I mean, Cheryl's a really, really smart girl, though, so. <laughs> Maybe she... it is light, 
Yeah. Be She's a lawyer. For her. <laughs> One never knows. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we go ahead and share with the people listening what we think of for our beach read selections. Okay. Um, so I went with a true, like, platonic example of a beach read mm-hmm. as my first pick. And I, I'm talking about the Hurricane Sisters mm-hmm. by Dorothea Benton Frank. And she is one of the queens of the beach read. Like, I think of beach read and she is the first person that pops in my head. Because her books are basically set on all beaches, I would say. Yeah. Um, this one specifically, coast, right? At, yeah, at least. least. Yeah. I don't know that there's an, uh, an exception to that. I, I haven't read all her books by any means, but I don't know that there's an exception. So um, so this one, as usual, is set in the South Carolina Lowcountry, and it's um, specifically on Sullivan's Island, which is, if you know your Charleston geography, it's just across the river from downtown Charleston. So if you're you're standing at the kind of mouth of the harbor, you can see across to, to Charleston. And it's just this unbelievably gorgeous place it's it's so beautiful and so it kind of feels removed from the city even though it has really great proximity to it and um it just it's it's so beautiful and so wonderful so um so she just picked the best location possible for for to set a book so this is um about a very complicated charleston family and Um, so it's a little bit hard to talk about just because there are so many characters, but I'll do my best. Um, and the first thing you need to know about them is that they're rich because they live downtown and, um, they live in the very fancy part of downtown. And then they also have the Sullivan's Island beach house. So that is not a cheap thing to have both of, of those, um, properties to rely on. So the, the matriarch of the family is named Maisie and she's in her eighties and she's kind of eccentric and wacky. And she sort of has the, she's sort of the antithesis of her daughter, Liz, who is the the mother of the rest of the, the characters basically. And so Liz is very reliable and, and just sort of doesn't understand her mom's ex- eccentricities at all. So Liz works, um, or she volunteers, I can't remember, at a domestic abuse charity, and she is very devoted to that. And at the same time, she's kind of trying to hold her family together because um, everything sort of, uh, her kids seem to be uh, moving in other directions, and her husband doesn't seem to be quite as invested as he used to be. Um, so she's she's just floundering a little bit. And so she has a daughter who's sort of the third main character of the book named Ashley. And she and, and Liz and Ashley have a little bit of a strained relationship. So Ashley is actually closer to her grandmother, Maisie, and feels like she can go to her a little bit more for discussions about her life. Um, and she's she's struggling a little bit, too, because she's in her 20s and she's single and she doesn't really have a career. She went to college to study art, but that hasn't really panned out into anything. And so she's she's just trying to figure out her direction in life. So this is a very typical um, kind of Southern fiction eccentric family setup that you see a lot in this this kind of book which i i used to make fun of it a lot when i was uh sort of pre-librarian days i i i don't know if making fun of it is right because i didn't uh articulate it quite to that level but i i just didn't read a lot of this and didn't have any desire to read it and now i just am very um 
always in the mood for this kind of book. So um, so Ashley is living with her best friend at her parents' Sullivan Island beach house, and it's the house is right at the mouth of the harbor. And um, I've actually been to the spot where they describe the house to be, and it's it's just so gorgeous. You have the a river on one side of this piece of land and the ocean on the other, and you can see ships coming in, and, and then uh, downtown Charleston is across the river, and it's it's just so so perfect. So they have this this unbelievable location, and they decide that because neither of them are making very much money, they're going to start hosting paid parties at this house. So they sort of are on the up and up with that. And at the same time, she meets a state senator named Porter, and she's very attracted to him, and she um, likes the idea of him a lot. She ha- likes the idea of having a, a highly placed boyfriend and the social prestige that would come with that. So they start dating, but she um, can tell there's something off because her friends don't like him, and his ex-girlfriend tries to get involved somehow, but Ashley dismisses everything because she really wants to fulfill this this dream of being a society wife. So there will be lots of drama that ensues from, from these decisions. Um, I remember when I read this, I felt like the book was really preachy and that the issues that it brings up are really heavily hammered in, um, which I didn't like when I read it. But now I, I think it was maybe five years ago or six years ago, I read this. And I think that I see a little bit more now what it was trying to do, and um, I understand a little bit more of this type of book, uh, like its place in people's reading taste. I, I, I've come around a lot, in my opinion, on on kind of light reading from where I was uh, in my twenties. <laughs> so, or I, I might just be nostalgic for the Low Country. I'm not sure. So. Um, so Dorothea Benton Frank died last year, and that was a real loss for the the Low Country area because she did a great job at evoking that that feeling that that really specific sense of place that people um, got to know through her in many ways. And she she did write really compelling stories. And um, so this was not her last book, but but one of her last books. And um, that's it's just a, a really sad loss for for South Carolina. So. Um, now I want to go read more Dorothy and Brett and Frank right now yeah. for for lots of summer reading. Um, so that is The Hurricane Sisters by Dorothea Benton Frank. I think I listened to that audiobook. I remember really liking it. And I was sort of the same as you because I had read her years ago. And then I was if, if working in that area in the low country. I just felt like I didn't really need to read her because everybody wanted yeah. to read her. Any, it, like sometimes is when you're working around books all the time, you know, you have to be selective about what you read, obviously. You right. can't read everything. And so sometimes it felt like, well, I don't need to read books that people are already going to want to read. I need to be right. reading the books that are maybe less well-known so I can recommend them when all of the Dorothy Benton book, Frank books are off, you know, right, exactly. uh, being checked out or whatever. Um, so, but I think I listened to that audiobook and I remember really liking it. Um, but yeah, she's just sort of the the original, I would say, of those beach read southern yeah. women's stories kind of writers. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah. That's a loss to the to the writing community in the South. Yeah. Yeah. She's that, that's so true that that at the time it just felt like, well, this is this is what everyone is publishing because it was so prevalent mm-hmm. where we were, because mm-hmm. that that was 
I mean, living in a retirement area, this mm-hmm. was the candy of the, mm-hmm. of the, um, or I shouldn't say the candy, that's the bread and butter of our, right. of our industry. Right. Um, because this was just so, so popular, but, but I didn't really feel it at the time. And, and I, my, if anyone looks at my Goodreads review, I'm very dismissive of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I, I have changed my mind a little bit about it and I, I am missing it a lot. All right. Well, so my first one is called Featuring. <laughs> so it's obviously right there in the title. I had to include it. But I um, I really, really loved this book. It just came out, I think, this week. I read it in advance. I think today. I think today when we're recording. Yeah, May 19th, yeah. right? Yeah, I think it came out today. Um, and I read it... At, like a month ago or so maybe and I just thought it was delightful I had heard some good things about it ahead of time which is always sort of a dangerous proposition when you have high expectations for something Um, but it totally lived up to them for me so it is about um, so it's a romance I should say that Um, but it's definitely a romance that straddles the line with more like of a chiclet kind of sensibility so it's one of those that romance fans will like but I think that there's plenty to offer for people who don't typically read romance. It's definitely a light, fluffy kind of summer book. Um, So it's about a woman named January who is a romance novelist and her father has recently passed away and after he died she learned that he was having an affair. Um, She did not know that when he was still living. And it comes out after he has died. Her mom was aware of the situation. So she has all sorts of complicated feelings about her father and his death. And just is very sort of blocked in lots of ways, uh, including her writing life. She has writer's block. She has a book that is due at the end of the summer in August and uh, hasn't even really started on it because she just can't wrap her head around a happily ever after right now, given the situation in her life. So her father owned a lake house uh, in this town where um, his mistress lived. And she decides to go to the lake house to clean it out and prepare it to sell. Maybe take some time just for herself. She's been completely rattled and undone by this information about her father. Um, And so she decides to just go off on her own and do this. And she's hoping really that the change of scenery will also help her just get refocused um, and get her writing again because she has this deadline that she has <laughs> got to meet. Um, and the first night when she arrives, she discovers um, there's a party going on next door and there's a, a man is on the back deck and she's out on the back deck having kind of a breakdown. And she's annoyed that the this party is going on she's trying to sleep and it's just a bad sort of like a bad situation and this guy is out on the deck and he's the owner of the house next door he's living in the house next door and she realizes that it is this man named Augustus who was her nemesis in graduate school he was like a super hoity-toity kind of literary kind of writer and she got the impression that he really looked down on the kind of writing that she did that she did And now he is a highly acclaimed literary fiction author. He has a couple of books published. They've all gotten rave reviews. And so she, the first thing, of course, she thinks of is, oh, gosh, like he looked down on me in graduate school and now I'm a romance author and he's this New York Times sort of revered uh, literary fiction author. This is just going to be terrible. (laughs) Um, So they, they end up 
a couple of days later, they end up talking and they have a couple of drinks and they decide they're both sort of, he's also struggling a little bit with writing. And so they decide, they make this little wager and they decide they're going to swap genres. And he is going to write a book that has a happy ending because all of his books are like super depressing. And he's going to write a book that has a happily ever after at the end because he doesn't believe that those exist in real life. <laughs> and she is going to write <laughs> something... Um, kind of depressing basically and that doesn't have a happy ending and they're going to submit them and see who can get published first and as part of this they decide to prepare by helping each other do research so january is going to take augustus on a bunch of romantic outings that you would like all these sort of rom-com kind of those scenes and movies that are like you know interspersed with music and stuff that sort of thing and then he is going <laughs> he decides to take her he's doing all this research on um a notorious cult that burned like that set they set it on fire um and so he takes her on a field trip to the burned out remains of the cult um and so through all of these different adventures and through this little competition they have during the day they'll they'll each be in their houses looking at each other through the window and they're both typing on their computers on their laptops and so through it all they end up growing closer as you would imagine because it's a romance novel um and they start falling for each other but they're also really working through their individual issues that are keeping them from um fully committing to the writing that they usually do and january is trying to come to terms with her grief over uh, losing her father and the betrayal that she is feeling and also um, his mistress lives in this small town and so she um, sees her and has to interact with her so there's all a whole bunch of stuff there there so like I said it's light and it's fun and it's beachy well it takes place at a lake but <laughs> sort of the same summer yeah. vibe um, but yeah it's the also, title says it's yeah it's, it's beachy um, it has to be but it's also this kind of like meta commentary on how romance novels are perceived by people so it's just such a treat for romance fans because um, they can feel a little bit validated about the the value of romance um, but again like I said at the beginning it doesn't I don't think it's really just for romance readers it's definitely got um, some of that flavor of like a women's a women's fiction um, book or chiclet kind of thing so that is Beach Read by Emily Henry came out today I, I was actually surprised I hadn't realized it was a was officially a romance because it it in my head it was more um like like a comedy i guess yeah i mean it's a romantic comedy i would say it's yeah. um but yeah so one of the things about a romance is that the love story is the central right. part of the story and this is that's very true here so mm -hmm. even though they're both working through their things it's really about their relationship that is the central yeah. plot of the story um and then it does end pretty pretty happily so uh <laughs> so yeah i mean, i would consider it a, a, a true romance or romantic comedy yeah oh, it looks it sounds really fun and it the is. cover is really cute too so i'm excited to read that yeah. at some point yeah. maybe this summer yeah there you go yeah Okay, my next book is Six Years by Harlan Coben, and I actually read this on a beach. So this was one of the first things that came to mind when I um, started picking my books. Um, so Harlan Coben, super famous. Everyone knows him. He, he's a very solid thriller writer, um, which I don't 
I, I'm not a huge thriller person generally, and I don't know that I've ever read a book of his that I have disliked. They they aren't my favorite things. That's not like my my go to author, but they're always entertaining. And um, another thing that's, that's kind of helpful to know is that his his books are pretty clean, and um, the violence is not terribly graphic, and um, that can be um, for people who like thrillers but aren't drawn to the the sex and violence and language then they um sometimes can can feel a little short shrifted a little bit um so that's uh one recommendation for him my sister absolutely loves him so um she will also second that i think that's okay i'm uh, sorry i i would not have thought of him that way but you're absolutely like it's a like the violence part of it like that yeah it's a very sort of i mean it's um, they're not clean no but in the way that we usually talk about kind of yeah yeah okay sorry. yeah 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 Don't no worries because <laughs> i like i read a lot of him and i think they're i loved that myron bolotar series i thought that was right. so much fun um and yeah he'd be a good good recommendation for somebody who wants that kind of book but doesn't like right a whole lot of violence or right like, totally and he just writes really compelling stories too they're just they they're like you read the the uh, jacket and you always want to keep going on it because they're just so so intriguing um he also he came to work once um to talk to us and he's super funny like it was it was an hour of him doing one-liners and not taking a single thing seriously and it was really really fun to listen to him so um so i'm just very pro harlan coben so uh, in this book, it's about a man named Jake Fisher, and he has a girlfriend named Natalie who he is head over heels in love with. And um, just he sees them as as riding off into the, into the sunset together. And she dumps him really suddenly and says that she's going to marry her ex-boyfriend, Todd. And of course, his name is Todd because Todd. Um, and so then she invites Jake to the wedding, which who does that? <laughs> and then he goes. <laughs> Which is Why a terrible choice. That's a terrible Why idea. would you go? <laughs> so at the wedding, they speak one last time, and she makes him promise to leave them alone. That that he'll never seek them out. That he's not going to try to get back in touch with her. That that they're done. And so he promises this, and he moves on. And he becomes a professor in Vermont um, at a university, and he um, really tries to get over her, but he doesn't. He just is very fixated on this relationship, even as he's living his life. But he keeps his promise, and he never tries to contact her. So six years later, he sees an obituary for Todd, and he decides he's going to go to the funeral, and um, I thought it was exciting because it's in it's in Bluffton, in South Carolina, where you used to work, mm-hmm. and that cracked me up a little bit because <laughs> it's very specific. Yeah. Um, so when he's there, he's he's there to give support, but he's also basically hoping that he can see Natalie and sort of wonders what will happen from an interaction with her. Um, but then when the funeral starts and Todd's wife walks in, then it's not Natalie. And it's a woman who says she's been married to Todd for over 10 years. And it's the correct Todd. It's not, it's not a mistaken identity in, in that way. Um, so this is something that can't actually happen. There's, there's no answer to this. So, um, Jake starts to search for Natalie and he contacts her friends and they haven't seen her or heard from her in years. And he contacts mutual friends of theirs that, that, um, 
you know, from, from when they were still dating and they act really weird about his questions. And so he knows that something isn't adding up and that this last six years have somehow been a lie, but Jake knows that he um, isn't going to stop until he finds her. So this is just such a good setup because that's what Harlan Coben does. He, he's just so intriguing. So um, I actually assigned this for a book club once uh, when I was I was doing a mystery book club at the library, and I didn't think it was great for that setting because there just isn't much to chew on for discussion. Mm-hmm. It's it's just very plot based, but that makes it perfect for the beach because you're not going to to be. I mean, I don't want to say you're not thinking because you are. Right. It's it's not a dumb book. It's just it's it's just so propulsive and there isn't like a lot of ethical questions (laughs) kinds of things that come up in it um it's just very fast moving and and uh, like i said a very intriguing premise and uh, it just propels you forward where you can't stop until you you find out what has happened in the situation um and if you're like me and you kind of like to nitpick your books and and find things that are goofy it has the most unrealistic depiction of how academia works that i've ever experienced and i really enjoyed that (laughs) so that is six years by harlan coben (laughs) Cosign. Those are the perfect kinds of books to read on a beach. Oh, so much fun. Uh, oh, so, it was so, so fun. So my next one is All Adults Here by Emma Straub. This is also a brand new release. It came out at the beginning of May, I think May 4th, I think. Maybe May 11th. Um, and so similar, this is kind of similar to what you talked about as your first book, which is like a dysfunctional family drama kind of thing, which I just mm-hmm. can't get enough of uh, ever. Um, but particularly when I'm on the beach, because they're never too dysfunctional. Like it's never yeah. too terrible. You know, things are going to end okay for these people. And so it just feels like that's the perfect for me, like reading about um Family relationships is is a, a fun like read kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so and this one is set during the summer, so that's perfectly appropriate. Uh, and it starts out with um, something kind of shocking. Uh, the main one of the main characters, Astrid, is in her um, in her small town, and she witnesses. Uh, some, somebody being struck by a bus and oh gosh is killed and it's somebody it's a long time frenemy of hers so it's somebody she's known a long time they were kind of friends there was an incident years ago where it, they sort of stopped talking but they're not really like angry at each other that sort of thing and so she's sort of appalled by this and shocked and as you would imagine having seen that um and that's sort of like what gets the story going and on the same day um, her granddaughter Cecilia is coming to spend the summer with her because something Cecilia I think is in the seventh grade she's in middle school I'm pretty sure and something happened at Cecilia's school that Astra doesn't really know the details of but she was just called upon by um, her I think it's her son and daughter-in-law I'm pretty sure it's her son um, to say can Cecilia come stay with you she needs to get away um, they lived in New York City, and so they need, she needs to get away from the city for a little while. Can she just come stay with you for the summer? And, um, and Astrid says, sure, she can come. At the same time as that's happening, uh, Astrid's daughter, Porter, is in her late 30s and has decided um, she wants to become a mom. And she's not married or uh, in a, in a like, committed relationship. Um, so she decides she's going to do it through sperm donation, and she has gotten pregnant, and now she has to tell um, her her 
loved ones. And her mom has always been a little bit standoffish. Astrid has always been a little bit standoffish. She was never a very sort of nurturing mother, I wouldn't say. She was a little bit more distant. Um, and so Porter's trying to figure out, like, well, how am I going to tell her this news? How is she going to take it? At the same time, she is carrying on, Porter is carrying on an affair with her high school boyfriend who is married but Porter's attitude is sort of like well I had him first like he's <laughs> he was kind of rightfully mine and she decided she didn't want to stay with him because you know they're young and to explore the world and so he went on and married somebody else and she's sort of like but she's you know she doesn't really count anyway so you have all of this going on oh and the other thing I forgot about is Astrid is in so, so the the patriarch of the family has died, and Astrid, like before the book ever begins, and Astrid has recently started a romantic relationship with a female friend of hers, but hasn't told anybody yet. So you have all these kind of moving pieces and parts, and so much good juicy drama, like family drama, relationship drama. Um, but the characters are also just really, really lovable. Like you're rooting for all of them, and there's this. There's sort of a veneer where it's like, nothing's too serious. You know, I, like, yes, Porter's having an affair with a married man, and that's a terrible thing, but it's not it's not as dire as it would be in, in real life if somebody, yeah. if somebody was having, you know, it's all got this kind of like sunny, sunny veneer. But I don't know. I just loved the characters. I loved learning about uh, how they sort of worked through all of their different uh, situations that they were in. I loved seeing how they figured out um, their relationships to each other. You know, you have Cecilia, who's a, a young teenager living with her grandmother and how they relate to each other. And then how Porter relates to Cecilia as she's about to become a mom for the first time. So I just thought it was so great. And um, I would highly recommend it if you like any sort of, it's a great beach read, but it's just a great book if you like family kind of stories. So that is All Adults Here by Emma Straub. Yeah, I'm the same way. Any any like family drama mm-hmm. kind of thing, but it's it's not it's not terrible betrayals right, that right. are unforgivable yes, kinds yes. of things or abuse or yeah. it's like and, minor it's like squabbling kind of thing versus yeah. huge life impacting. Yeah. And it's like And part it, of it's the tone too. Like those things could yes. all be the told the exact same like the the facts could be the same but the tone is told in a way that shows how terrible those things would be and that would make a huge difference but absolutely good point yeah it's part of it's the writing style and the setting and sort of it's yeah so there's a lot more I could have I could continue on talking because there's like (laughs) Cecilia has a friend that there's a whole storyline there about her friend that she makes when she comes to visit and and then there's a another child in the family that's Porter's brother so Anyway, I will leave it there. But if you like family drama, definitely pick this up. That sounds great. Okay, my last book is Final Sentence by Daryl Woods Gerber. And this is a cozy mystery. And I picked it because it's set in a California beach town, which is kind of unusual for the the cozy mystery world. They're usually, um, I mean, it's always small town, but usually a little bit more New Englandy, I would say, or, or East Coast. Um, but this one has more of a sort of breezy vibe, but but still has that, that all the, the hallmarks of a cozy mystery. So it's about a woman named Jenna Hart, and she is in her late 20s, and she's an ad executive in San Francisco, which those two things do not go together, <laughs> but whatever. Um, and she um, 
her husband has just died in a boating accident. And so she decides that she's going to go back to her hometown of Crystal Cove, California, and open a cookbook store with her eccentric aunt Vera. And so as a marketing expert, she can bring this sort of um, fresh perspective, I guess, to to what could be a very stale and um, traditional shopping experience. So she has all kinds of good ideas like a cafe and cooking demonstrations and, and lots of ways to incorporate the food world into this um, this bookstore. So one of her first plans is to invite her uh, former college roommate who is named Desiree Devine because this is a cozy mystery <laughs> and um, she has become a famous chef since college and so um, they this just seems like a perfect opportunity for for Jenna to um, reconnect with her and to um, sort of use that connection to um, to promote herself so she um, once Desiree gets there then uh, she's a total diva and a member of Desiree's entourage tells Jenna that Desiree had actually had an affair with Jenna's husband before he died and so Jenna's understandably upset and she goes out um, looking for Desiree and searches for her for the evening and then um, goes back home but then gets up early the next morning be- because she's just so upset again and and goes to the beach to walk um, to clear her head and she ends up finding Desiree's body. So of course she's suspected because the um, rumor mill knows about her search for Desiree that the night before and so Jenna has to investigate to clear her own name and she also wants to find out answers about her husband because um, she's she still loves him and it's been a terrible betrayal to her so as I've talked about before the appeal of the cozy mystery is the setting and the local characters and um as usual, nothing in this book is subtle. Um, there are everything is very quaint, and it's really fun to hear about the the cookbooks and the um, different foods that are are being made in the cafe and and in the the bookstore. Uh, and it's just it's goofy, it's fun, and the characters make unrealistic, crazy decisions. <laughs> and the author references her own books in, in from other series oh, in hilarious. this one, which I love. Um, so I, I mean, I just I. I can never get enough of that kind of stuff with cozy mysteries. I think there's that's just so funny to do. Um, so actually, if you look at the cover, if you know this author's other series, you can recognize that the the art on the cover are, are like the little cookbooks that you can't tell what they are, but you'll recognize them if you know her other books mm-hmm. from from the colors and stuff. So it, it's really funny to me. Um, but I think like usually when I read a cozy mystery, I want there to be candles and an afghan and hot tea and a big chair. And I'm not usually like very often if I see something that's more of a beachy kind of kind of cozy um, and I'm not as attracted to it. But this one really made me want to be reading on the beach and it it has everything you want in sort of a, a touristy beach town Um kind of feel to it so i like that they can evoke different types of settings and different feelings even though the plots are are the same as other types of cozies so if you like this book the author is very prolific and she has lots of series to choose from so um she has another another series that's about a cheese shop which is also (laughs) very fun (laughs) oh so yeah so that is final sentence by daryl woods gerber it will never stop making me laugh that you like cozy mysteries. <laughs> so unlike you. But how? I don't know. Well, no, because you do I... like feeling cozy. Like, you do like that yeah. kind of vibe. But 
I don't know. I mean, it's... Uh, I think if you understand that I'm kind of... I don't even want to say this, but I will. I'm kind of making fun of them yeah. the whole time. But I don't want to imply that I that I think they're stupid. Yeah. It's just... I like to giggle while I read. <laughs> but for some reason, like, like romance novels, I know we're going for the same thing. Right. But it doesn't, it doesn't work for me the same way. Like, I, I enjoy it. It isn't as though I, I think, oh my gosh, I hate reading this, yeah. but it doesn't attract me in the way that a cozy mystery And I'm does. the same, but with the reverse. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, so my last one is also a mystery. It's Eight Perfect Murders by Peter Swanson. And oh, this one sounds so good. Oh, it's so good. So when I, when I was trying to think about Beatrice, I was... And, and what books I was going to pick. I was trying to fill sort of different slots. So I had my little romance chiclet book, and then I had my family drama book. And then the other slot is for that fast-paced, um, page-turner, suspenseful book that you just don't want to put down, basically. Yes. Like, you just want to, you know, you get a sunburn because you just have to find out what happens next. So actually, I have to say, the very first book I thought of was The Chestnut Man, but you've already talked <gasps> about that one. Oh, I and love so, that book. And and. I think part of the reason is because I had recommended that on my Instagram and somebody just told me the other day that she stayed up till 2 a.m. to finish it. And so, yeah. and I had recommended it a while ago. So it wasn't like she just turned around and picked it up right away. But anyway, so, um, so that was the first one that came to mind. But I feel like this, this is not a, not remotely the same, um, like storyline or anything, but just that similar sort of, I want to find out what happens next. It's got sort of short chapters that, lots of twists and turns and that sort of thing so so I didn't read this one on the beach unfortunately but I did read it on my back deck so it felt like a similar kind of vibe and I just sat and I read it I'm pretty sure in one sitting I think in one afternoon I just was like I have to find out what's going on in this book so it is about Malcolm who is a man who works at a bookstore he started I think he he had bigger aspirations but he started working at this bookstore like 15 years before and is still there. He's now more of like the, I don't know if he's the owner, but he's, he's definitely kind of like the manager runs the place um, from the original owner. But back when he first started and blogs were first becoming a thing, he suggested to the owner at the time that they should start a, a blog and they could post different book lists and stuff and try to engage um, people that way and, and build up an audience and, and a customer base, basically. And it didn't, it kind of fizzled, like it didn't go very, very well. But one of the blog posts that Malcolm wrote was on um, this list of the eight, the the eight perfect murders that he considered, per, like the, the eight murders that he considered to be perfect in classic mysteries. And so he hasn't thought about this thing in years, you know, it was many many moons ago and he just he put it together and put it out there I don't know if you have ever written a blog post but it's definitely a very like temporary kind of thing like you write it you post it you move on to the next thing anyway so one day an FBI agent contacts him and she says she thinks that someone she has this theory that someone is replicating the murders from his list in <gasps> order and so she wants to enlist his help to figure out who the killer might be and is it him? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. Okay. Sorry. I got so scared. <laughs> um, so Malcolm's like, yeah, sure. Like it, he thinks it seems kind of strange. Like, how is this possible? Like, why would somebody ever take this totally obscure 
blog post from a blog that's not even maintained anymore. Why would somebody seek that out and start committing murders based on it? Uh, and, and, and is even sort of skeptical that this pattern actually does mirror the, the blog post list. And then the FBI agent shows him the evidence that she has. And so he becomes convinced. But it's clear that maybe other, the rest of the people at the FBI who are investigating are not on board with this theory, that they think it's kind of crazy. So it's just Malcolm and the FBI agent who believe it and are going to investigate it. And at first, it seems like Malcolm is a pretty stand-up guy. But little by little, you realize that he has some secrets of his own that he would rather not be revealed. And then the question that you asked is, if someone is recreating his list, is he the killer? Like, is he the one doing this? Um, and so there, there's just, there are a ton of twists in this book. And so I think I predicted maybe one of them, but um, lots, of, lots of them took me by surprise. And there are a lot of references to classic mystery novels and movies. Oh. Um, and I did not know them all. So I, I do think probably if you're really immersed in that, it would be even more fun. But I knew some of them. I did not know all of them. And it didn't lessen my enjoyment of the book at all. It was like, it was still a great mystery. It was still a good story. And I thought I was recognizing the fact like, oh, this is probably a reference. And some of them are very blatant references. You know, they'll call out Agatha Christie or whatever. But anyway, I think for a mystery lover of classic mysteries, that this is just such a fun read. And it's very fast paced, like I said, very short chapters that sort of just lead you right into the next and next and next. And it's, um, like I said, so many twists. So you keep reading and thinking you know which which direction it's going. You think you know who you can trust. And then you're like, wait, no, maybe I don't know who I can trust. You know, it's the end of May now. We're coming up on Father's Day. I was thinking about it um, earlier today. I was like, this would be a great Father's Day present if your dad likes Alfred Hitchcock movies or Agatha Christie, um, anything like that. Like those just classic, uh, those classic mysteries they can't get enough of. This feels like a great modern, both both like a modern spin on it, but also felt very rooted in like the classic structure kind of thing. So that's Eight yeah. Perfect Murders by Peter Swanson. It sounds like such a good read alike for Magpie Murders, yeah, where it's, it's like yeah. a meta commentary on the genre. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That sounds awesome. Yeah. There's some other book that's coming out soon, like later in the summer, that's also based something similar of, of like eight hmm. eight murders or eight eight detective things. It's a it's a fiction book. I'll I'll look it up and I'll post it okay. on our show notes, but um it was something that reminded me of this when I when I saw it kind of pop up um at work and I, I thought Oh, it's kind of uncanny. <laughs> These came out fairly close to yeah, each other. That's funny when but that happens. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. There's another. Well, that, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say there's a book coming out soon, Friends and Strangers by J. Courtney Sullivan. That sounds so uh-huh. much like Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. It's like, you know, they were published too close together. That There's no, nothing nefarious is going on. Yeah. It's just yeah. like similar thoughts in the world, like similar things yeah. happening in the world cause some two different writers to write about the same thing. Yeah. Oh, that just shot up to the top of my my wanting to read right now list. That sounds awesome. Um, All right. Well, we will be right back with what we're reading this week.
All right. Anne, what are you reading this week? I um, actually can't talk about anything I'm reading at all because everything is Jane Austen related and I talk about her too much on the podcast. So I'm going to talk about um, To All the Boys I've Loved Before by Jenny Han, which I just finished listening to the second book recently. Um, And I also realized that I read this book on an airplane, which I think has some similar, uh, for me at least, some similar reading needs as mm. treats. Agreed. So, yeah, I'm I'm not great at the long um like like taking war and peace on a plane kind of kind of thing mm. because I get very very antsy on planes. So, I need something that's just quick moving and this was perfect for that. So, um this uh this book is pretty popular right now because the Netflix show came out last year, I think. Mm-hmm. And then the second movie came out this year so um so i kind of wondered if i should even talk about this because it might be too popular but or too well known but i think it's worth seeking seeking out the books because the plots are a bit different and this has a very different ending than the movie Mm -hmm. um and there are just more character details and and it's really um it's just such a charming read that i think they both you have space for both of them in your lives. Mm-hmm. So the main character is named Lara Jean Song Covey, and she's 16 and lives with her dad and her older sister, Margot, and she has a little sister, Kitty, and their mom died several years before. And she's half Korean and half white, and she is just the most hopeless romantic you will ever see on paper. She has fallen in love hard several times, and when she does, she writes really heartfelt letters to the boys, and then she doesn't mail them, she just saves them, and she has a hat box that she's sort of devoted to this, um, to these letters, and she really doesn't have very much dating experience, but she's, she's, um, uh, mentally very in that headspace. So she is feeling conflicted um, at the start of the book because her sister Margot just broke up with her boyfriend Josh before leaving for college, and she finds out that Josh actually liked her first. And so this this starts to bring back some, some of the feelings that she had um, let go of years before, but she knows she isn't going to date him because Margot just broke up with him, and that's that's just not really right for her. Um, so the next day at school, the most popular guy at school named Peter Kavinsky tells her that he's not interested and she doesn't understand what he means until she realizes that he has the letter that she wrote to him years before and she's just completely mortified. So she goes home and she can't find the hat box and so she doesn't know what has happened to these letters. So then Josh approaches her the next day with the letter that she wrote to him and Um, because she doesn't want to get involved with him, she lies and says that she's dating Peter and um, sees him in the hallway and kisses him to, to make it true and to, to make Josh understand that this is, this is not going to happen. So he goes along with it, which really surprises her. And she, um, he tells her that she, or that he uh, broke up with his girlfriend and that he, he wants to have this fake relationship to keep, um, the girl to to make a clean break with his girlfriend and so that that uh Lara Jean doesn't get involved with Josh. So they start to spend lots of time together to make this convincing and they get along really well and of course Lara Jean starts to fall for him again. Um and, but this time it seems like Peter might like her back and there are lots of complications and um it's it's just very cute. Lots lots of uh kind of squeaky moments that make 
romance so enjoyable. And I really like that it, it mixes the sweetness and innocence that innocence that Laura Jean has with the realities of how it, it, um, the realities of being in high school right now, because social media plays a huge part in the, the plot of this. Um, and that is very different from when I was in high school. And so uh, I kind of like to see how that that plays off each other. And she's struggling with her relationships um, or, or trying to navigate these relationships when she doesn't have her mom to ask questions. And she really has to rely on her family for help um, in, in these questions that uh, most girls would go to their mom about. Uh, and and any fan of the show knows that the family dynamic is really great, um, and that's true of the book as well. It, it has a really authentic feel. And Lara Jean also just, she feels like the teenagers that I knew and the teenagers I know now and how I was in high school, um, which doesn't really get represented a whole lot in YA because I was not dating and not uh cool and um lara jean is very sweet and cute and she loves clothes and baking and um she's just she's innocent and i wish that this kind of teenager were more represented in ya than it, it than actually happens um and i like that the book really focuses on her her outside in, uh, passions. She's she's not just focused on these boys, but she has lots of interests outside of that, and and really dynamic relationships with all of her friends and and her family. So um, as I've said before, I love when people of color are represented in um, genre fiction, and um, this is a perfect example of that because it's not trying to be anything more than a fluffy romance, but it's inclusive in who it, it shows um, in those stories. And I just love that. So that is To All the Boys I've Loved Before by Jenny Han. Such cute books. Such and good, I haven't watched the second movie yet, but the first movie was delightful as well. Oh, I just watched it this past week and it was also delightful. Oh, good. I need to watch it at some point. The the John Ambrose McLaren yeah. is that his character? Yeah. He he is a, an adorable actor. Oh, okay. I need to if I can say that as someone who is too old for it, but you know, <laughs> well, if I, I were do in high know the first one. There were many women googling how old Peter Kavinsky that the actor who played him. Oh yeah, because they found him quite uh, quite lovely. <laughs> so the book that I am reading this week is The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. It is not quite out yet. It comes out June 2nd, um, so just a couple more weeks. I think I talked about this in my preview, the preview episode for this season. I think you did. I think so. So Britt Bennett wrote The Mothers, which I loved. It came out a few years ago, so I was very, very excited for this book. So happy to say that... Um, this one was just as good as the mothers, if not better. Um, and actually, when I planned to talk about this as my what I was reading this week, I thought for sure I'd still be reading it, but I ended up finishing it last night. Um, I read it in, in two sittings because it was just, it was so, so good. Um, I think it will definitely be one of my favorite reads of the year. It is one of those stories that I think it's going to be a little bit hard in the description to explain why it's so good. So much of it is in the characterization and the the writing, just the way she sort of builds the story. And so I, I'll, I'll, I'll give kind of like the outline synopsis of it. But I think that um, so much of it is just about kind of the feelings that the book evokes more than the plot, if that makes sense. So um, it starts in 1968 and it's set in a 
teeny tiny rural town called Mallard, Louisiana. It's such a small town, it doesn't exist on any map anywhere. Um, and everyone in the town is African American, but they're very, very light skinned. And so this is kind of how they're, how they, think of themselves I guess they're all kind of they're all descended from one man <laughs> and so he had this idea about um, like every generation being a lighter skinned version uh, as, as each generation would go by so it is it's not about I mean it is about it's very much about race but it's Mallard is just the setting the backdrop so it's really about Desiree and Stella, who are twins. And when the book opens, they are um, young girls and pretty much inseparable. And Desiree is kind of the impulsive one. She is outgoing. Stella is more reserved. She's very smart. She takes school very seriously. Um, and Desiree often speaks for Stella. Like Stella will will take a back seat and Desiree will be the one to, to speak up about things. And when they're 16 years old, their mother tells them um, that they're going to need to drop out of high school to become house cleaners like she is so they can help pay the bills. Their father was uh, brutally murdered in front of them by some white men uh, years before. And so their mother is their, their sole caregiver. And she, she says, you can't, can't keep going to school. I need your help. Um, I need you to work. They've been talking for a while about getting out of this town. They, is, they don't feel that there's really a future for them. So they decide they're going to leave. And they do everything together. So one day, basically, they just disappear. They, just, they leave. Um, and, and you, as the reader, learn that they go to New Orleans to try to make a better life for themselves. And it's still very much the Jim Crow South. And so their opportunities are still pretty limited in New Orleans. And Desiree has the idea that Stella should pass as a white woman and go apply for a secretarial job, which is something that a black woman wouldn't even be considered for. But if, if Stella presents herself as a white person, that she might be considered. Well, and that's exactly what happens. Stella gets the job. She's very good at it and ends up... Desiree doesn't know exactly what happens because Stella then just disappears one day. And not in a way that she's concerned about her safety, in a way that she realizes she is going off to make a life for herself and leaving Desiree behind. And so then at that point, the story kind of splits off and you follow Desiree and you follow Stella and you see what paths their life lives take. And so about 10 years later, Desiree ends up returning to Mallard with a daughter um, and she is nursing some bruises and other injuries that her abusive husband has inflicted on her. So she's running away from her husband. She has nowhere to go. She plans on only staying in Mallard temporarily until she can get on her feet again and ends up staying there much, much longer and raising her daughter there. And then Stella, you see her life's path and she has not spoken to anyone from her past because once she got this job, she ended up in a relationship with her boss and ends up marrying him. And he does not know she is black. He, she lies to him throughout their whole marriage. And she ends up having a daughter. So they, the story keeps checking in with, with both of them, with Desiree and Stella, as they raise their daughters. And then it, it goes to about 20 years later, I think. I think it ends in the 80s. And so then you're also learning about their daughters. And as their daughters are teenagers, they end up meeting. And so it's this really incisive look at, 
identity and belonging and family, but also just a really, really good story about people that you're very invested in. You really are curious to see how their lives play out and what happens if if the twins are going to re-enter each other's orbits again or if they're just going to continue these separate lives. Um, so I felt like this was, again, this is going to be one of my favorite books of the year. I could have kept reading about these people for many, many more hundreds of pages. It, it ended <laughs> way too soon for my taste. Um, but it was just very well done. Um, it ends on kind of a, a perfect note that feels appropriate without feeling like it, it doesn't wrap everything up at the end it's not it's like life oh, it's not a tidy that. bow at the end it's just like no nope, this is where we're just gonna walk out of these people's lives and you're not going to necessarily know what happens to them in the future but you're just gonna have spent these these years with them and so I absolutely adored it if, if I can't convey that enough um, and that <laughs> is The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett that sounds so good. It I don't know why it makes me it keeps making me think of um homegoing. Yes. But I was going to so it Oh good. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that it did so homegoing is more about different generations, but it has right. a similar structure in you follow one person and then it jumps ahead by a certain number of years if you're following a different person and then yeah. it jumps ahead so there was yeah there was one point I jumped back into Desiree's story and I had to stop and think for a second like wait where did we leave her like where what was <laughs> going on because that was 40 pages ago so yeah. yes it has definitely a similar feeling to Homegoing I would say also I don't know if you've ever read it but Silver Sparrow by Tayari Jones it has a similar feeling to that which that one's about to um a man who has two families, his legitimate family and his illegitimate family. Ooh, and the, his one daughter figures it out. Like, they, she doesn't know she's the illegitimate family. Um, and she figures it out and go, goes and seeks out her sister. And so um, very similar sort of that family relationship vibe and belonging again. So, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, fabulous. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's it for Beach Reads episode. Let's go back and say all the books we talked about. Okay, I talked about The Hurricane Sisters by Dorothea Benton Frank, Six Years by Harlan Coben, Final Sentence by Daryl Woods Gerber, and what I'm reading this week is To All the Boys I've Loved Before by Jenny Hahn. And I talked about Beach Read by Emily Henry, All Adults Here by Emma Straub, Eight Perfect Murders by Peter Swanson, and what I read this week was The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. And if you'd like to get in touch with us to give us feedback or a suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com. You can find us on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And <gasps> newsflash. I forgot. We now have an Instagram account. Fancy. Very. We have zero followers at the moment. <laughs> Not even me. Not even you, Anne. I think we're following like two people. I just set it up yesterday, but we do have an Instagram account. It is at Well Read Podcast, just like our Twitter. So please, if you're on Instagram, find us there. I do tend to post on my own personal Instagram pictures of books I'm reading and like recommendations. So I think we'll probably do something similar on our podcast Instagram. Yeah. So follow us there. And we'd love to hear from you there or anywhere. Uh, if you could please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your other podcaster provider of choice, we'd really appreciate it. Um, helps people find the show 
Our theme music is Kitten by Pottington Fair. We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this and every episode. Thank you all for listening. Happy reading. If you're going to the beach this weekend for Memorial Day, let us know what book you're taking. And I hope you have a great weekend. Bye.